Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. It's Mark Follett here. Welcome back to Core Truth with Rudy Eckhart and myself. Today we wanted to expand a little bit more on creating your own reality, but with a very specific uh, focus on how we create a physical body and in particular how we are implicated in our own physical illnesses and how our physical illnesses in and also mental illnesses are part of our emotional expression or emotional blockages. So it's a, it's a very specific form of creating your own reality and um, something I find is very uh, important and I've had specific instances of understanding this for myself as I'm sure most people have. So Rudy, I might hand over to you to, uh, to give your, your explanation of, of what we were going yeah. to talk about today. Of course, we're going to give a semi-specific explanation and it's impossible to cover all illnesses. No. And the reason for that is it's multifold, actually. Um, part of it is that the metaphor for all illnesses is not known, but there are metaphors in respect to our emotional self clear for certain and specific illnesses. Do you think it's individualized as well? Is that another thing, another part of it? There's always an individual component for each indivi- for each person, yes. right, in the, in the fears and insecurities that they have because of the way they acquired them in the first place. I'm talking about in, the, in terms of the metaphor. Do you think that's Well, that is the common? metaphor in a sense. Yeah. You know, the metaphor is just exactly that. Um, but often the illnesses and the symptomatology looks very similar from person to person. There's very little variation. Okay. Probably one of the easiest ones and the most obvious ones to deal with and to talk about is what they call CBT. I think CBT, um, chronic, no, chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic, chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, yeah. Irritable bowel syndrome, that's mm-hmm. IBS. Yes. And um, uh, in that category, you can also probably take Crohn's disease. Yeah. Um, so some of the things you're mentioning are, are almost um, names for symptoms that don't really have a that the science hasn't really found a specific disease for as such. It's just that the body isn't working, so they give it a label because of the symptoms that that person has. Yeah, or, or the person that discovered it, like Crohn's, or the person yeah. that first had it. I don't know whether it was the discoverer or the doctor or the person that had it that had that name Crohn's, but um, all of them relate to the gut. Mm. Relate to our intestinal system and our digestion and um, and our immune system, obviously. Our immune system is involved in that, but also our gut bacteria yes. is involved in that. Um, and what is mostly involved in that is our fears. Mm. And so, so fear being being the one element that is influential in creating not only negative emotional states, but also has the capacity to create physical. Um, negative states in us by uh, creating conditions in us which suppress our immune system and activate the negativity in a specific organ related to a specific belief. 
mm. or system of beliefs, as I often call it. I, I think a lot of people listening to this may have heard of the correlation between gut bacteria and health on a physical level um, and some of the other concepts that you mentioned physically, but maybe a lot of people haven't made the jump to understand that the reason that they're potentially the reason that their um, gut bacteria is, is out of whack or the reason that their immune system isn't working properly states back to an emotional issue uh, in the first place. Yeah, you should probably add into that the capacity of the intestinal system to absorb. Yes. To absorb nutrition and um, feed the body, so to speak. Because, mm-hmm. because if you break down the whole um, system that we have for digesting food, it includes, it starts, or it starts at the moment we start putting food in our mouth. Yes. It actually starts the moment we smell food. Probably even the choices we make about what we put in our mouth is, is driven, obviously, at some point. But that's, yeah, but that can be just a matter of taste. It doesn't have to be like you, 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 all, all eating has a specific track, right? So we smell it, we taste it, we bite into it, we chew it, and we swallow it. Those are the five first things we do. Right, those. So at that point, right. So if you look at it, every one of those five early earliest of uh, activities that we perform to get food into our system, each of them have the capacity for refusal. You can smell it, not like it, and not eat it. You can smell it, think it's okay, put it on your tongue, taste it, and think I don't want it. You can go to the next step and bite into it, and what comes out of the food in terms of juices and flavors is then repulsive to you. You can still spit it out. All right? Mm-hmm. At this time, your saliva and the enzymes that are in your saliva are already engaged in breaking down the food. Yes. Right? Um, you, you then, um, in your chewing and swallowing, right, you bring the food inside your system. And funny enough, even even as it's going down, right, and it's reaching the stomach, you still have an opportunity to refuse to, to have that food in your body because you can throw it up. Mm-hmm. It might sound all a bit disgusting and it's not meant to, but it's, I'm just trying to explain something, yes. how it works. And so now it's in the, in the stomach, it's being digested by the enzymes that were released the moment you smelled the food, funny enough. And the acids, obviously. And yeah. the acids, um, yeah, that come from the bile, from, from your... Um, from your uh, liver. From your liver, mm. right? That They're brought into your stomach, and the enzymes that are released in your stomach are there to digest whatever food there is. And they're specialized enzymes particular to the food you're, you're, you're actually yeah, from, eating. Yeah, from when you start smelling it, you, your body starts preparing for that particular food. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, and so now it's in the stomach, and if it stays in the stomach long enough, it will break down and go into the intestinal system. And it's now going into, the, um, into your colon, and your colon is breaking down further and trying to absorb all the nutrition that comes out of it and dispose of the elements in the food that you don't need. Mm. And they pass out normally when you go to the toilet. Um, that whole process, right, is a metaphor, if you like, for how we live life. If you can imagine the body as a, as a construct, as a physical thing that requires nutrition in order to survive, grow, and sustain itself, your spirit, soul, mind, and being, if you like, if you can co-collect that under one umbrella, <clears throat> requires 
emotional experiences, engagement with life, creative activity, choices and decisions in order to evolve and sustain its mind beingness, if you like. It's, it's like food for your entire being. It's, it's food for the mind. For the mind, yeah. Okay. So, so emotional experiences, how they affect you can be springboards for change, growth, and evolving your mind. But now when fear comes into the picture, I'll, let me just go back. Let me just go back. Because if you put it two side by side, you begin to realize that the, in the mind, the essence of your mind, the essence of your spirit is unconditional love, acceptance, and trust, and being wanted in this world. It is a source, if you like, for the mind that it can depend on, rely on, and always to sustain it, if it believes that. If it, if it believes that, if, it has a, if it's convicted by it, right? But if it isn't, then it acts like a faulty immune system. So if you don't have um, your mind, or if your mind cannot rely on unconditional love, acceptance, and trust for its existence in the world, it is because fear has taken its place. Which is the absence of those things, correct? Which is the absence of love. Mm -hmm. And that is like having a faulty immune system in your body. So your emotional fears act on the body and act on the immune system the same way as your fears act on the um, expression or the lack of expression of unconditional love, acceptance, and trust. So it is being suppressed mm -hmm. by fear. The effect on, on the mind is that we try to avoid. We try to avoid emotional experiences that may have negative consequences or we may avoid negative experiences by avoiding making choices and taking risks that result in negative consequences. Which means you end up not taking any action. Which means that you spend your life avoiding. Avoiding action, avoiding. And living in fear yes. of the consequences of what you're avoiding. The other option is to take action but you you act out of that fear the other way can be to be aggressive mm. to overcome that fear and to dominate your environment in other words the world in which you live dominate the people in your environment to stop them from from seeing. imposing no 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 from imposing situations on you that make you fearful mm. so in other words you want to stop someone else from being angry with you or blaming you or accusing you because that would make you feel guilty or feel powerless or helpless. And that's what you're trying to stop with aggression. So by being dominating and aggressive, you're in actual fact uh, trying to control the emotional environment in which you find yourself. So it can be at work, can be in relationships, can be in friendships, can be everywhere. The, the, the problem with it is it's usually the passive people. No, it's not always. That's not true. But it's more often the passive people. Not always. It's more often the passive people that then get these physical problems. Because of the suppression side of what Because of the suppression side of it. Mm. Because their, their fear causes them to suppress everything within themselves. Their emotions, their feelings, their choices, their decisions, their creativity, uh, even their pain and suffering, their needs and expectations, they're all being suppressed because they fear that imposing this on somebody else will get a negative response. Now, this is, of course, all learned in childhood. Mm. in the first eight to ten years of your life, right? It's conditioning You're, as such. 
it is a kind of conditioning, but it, it, it is being exposed to an environment where you, in many ways, were emotionally not welcome. Where you have parents, more than likely, who could not cope with you. And where you were uh, made to have the perception or caused to have the perception that your existence was an imposition on your parents and that your existence being your needs, your expectation, the innate expectation to be unconditionally loved, wanted and accepted, uh, your need for support, care and protection, your need to be heard and listened to, all those things would be um, uh, felt by you being an imposition on the parent and therefore internalized by you. And I think most people would be fairly confronted by the thought that their parents did that. But certainly what we're talking about is not bad people. They're people that have fears and insecurities of their own. They feel powerless in life. Yeah, people that are struggling with their own issues, that, you know, which everyone is to some extent, uh, having children and then the children are influenced yeah. by whatever they're going through at the time. But having said that, there is a need to become objective and not to feel sorry for your parents. Mm-hmm. If you accept that they did the best that they could do, then be objective of what they could and could not do, right? Don't don't feel guilty by analyzing and looking at your childhood and uh, taking stock of what actually happened and how it made you feel. Mm. Don't think that um, by you protecting your parents, you're somehow going to be a better person or be in a better space or deal with your issues. You're not. Mm. That is an illusion. There's a lot of guilt around being objective with your parents for a lot of people, and it is the wrong kind of guilt. It doesn't serve your parents, and it certainly doesn't serve you. Once you get past the age of 10, 8 to 10 years old, your issues are yours, and yours alone. Regardless of how they've come <clears throat> to be. Regardless of how they come to be, regardless whether your parents alive, are alive or dead, regardless whether you're with them or not, if you don't deal with your issues, you will die with them. Yeah. They will be yours for the rest of your life. And to tie that back into what we're talking about today, particular issues be- before you, you die with them will cause you potentially some physical uh, ailments. So that's, that's what we want to try. Because I think we've, we've got two parallel things here that we've discussed, which is the, the physical way that your body digests food and the way that your mind <laughs> digests experiences. And I think we need to tie those two now together. Yeah, well, I... There's a metaphor there, isn't there? Well... Yes, um, it's it's like I think th- I think we make too big a um, division between negative physical experiences, which we call illness, and negative emotional experiences, which we call emotional issues. I guess, mm-hmm. um, or it could be things like um, what we call mental illness, depression. Same thing. Yeah. Well, me- mental illness can be a deep emo- um, a deep imbalance. In the, in the individual. And to be honest, I've, I've worked with, um, with people who have had, of course, um, emotional issues, very deep emotional issues, and people who've had um, been under psychological care for many years of their life and got very positive results. Mm. Um, but I've not worked with people in institutions who have been institutionalized because of the fact that I'm not a formalized psychologist um, without a university degree, um, I don't get access to those people. Mm. It's so, fascinating so I can't, experiment at some point, I suspect. Yeah, so I can't comment on that. But just to go back to my, my, my statement about the division between um, 
physical ex- negative physical experiences such as illness and negative emotional experiences, um, there is you should not see them as separate because it is like in your life physically and emotionally and in the reality that you live, you're getting these alarm bells that tell you that your expression of yourself has problems, that who you believe yourself to be is not who you should be by the experiences you create or by the physical symptoms you walk around with. Um, or by the negative thoughts that are in your in your mind during the day. Yeah. I think that's a well, very Well, the negative thing. thoughts, anything at all that is not uh, reflective of um, unconditional love, acceptance and trust, right, uh, would be an issue that is worth looking at. Mm. And... What we, you know, what, what I haven't spoken about as yet is the fact that we can have positive experiences, um, which are actually not pos- that feel like positive experiences, but are not. Mm-hmm. So this is about um, feelings in general that our feelings don't necessarily tell us the truth. So that this is something we we could talk about right now. But um, first of all, I want to cap off this whole. Uh, this connection between body and mind. Mm. Obviously, different people have therefore, because they have different belief systems and different state of mind, have a different reaction to the things they're exposed to. One person will will smoke all of their life and never be ill, never have lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And another person will get lung cancer without ever having smoked. So... There's no consistent relationship, for instance, between smoking and cancer that you can really draw. I think it's the same with things like asbestos, where lots of people are exposed to it, only certain people get asbestosis. Yeah. Yeah, and that could very well be the case as well in, the, in, in, in that way. The point of it is that, that we make a big effort to diagnose people on a physical level, mm. but we don't at the same time diagnose those same people with those illness on a psychological level to see what belief systems they walk around with. Mm. Now, smoking is another one. We, we, we talked about irritable bowel syndrome, syndrome, for instance, um, and gut issues as being a product of being fearful of life, fearful of having negative experiences, which are done, which are then um, manifested in these particular conditions like... Um, um, so you're talking about chronic fatigue syndrome before. Chronic fatigue syndrome. And That's all related. So I guess what you're saying then, just to, to to engage my understanding there, is someone that's in a chronic fatigue state is is that way because they're so bound up in not expressing themselves that they don't want to have any experiences. So they basically go to bed, go to sleep. No, it's the fear of having experiences. Fear of having experiences. And the result yeah. of that is that your body shuts down so that you don't have those experiences. Because yeah, you're, you're fearful. You're, your body is actually resisting, absorbing those experiences. So I'm mixing the metaphor. Yes. Yeah, so it's the, with the metaphor with the, with the food. With the food. Yeah. So. Now, the smoking is something similar because uh, we all heard the, um, the expression, um, the breath of life, the freedom to breathe. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very common expressions. Yeah. And so breathing is associated with the freedom of expression, the freedom to be. To be in, the, the, in life, in physical The freedom life. to be in life, the freedom to give a voice to yourself, to be creative and expressive in life, to, to, to show your feelings and emotions, um, to do what you want, to pursue 
certain desires, wishes, hopes, and dreams, all right? All that is part of the freedom of expression, right? When people feel restricted, when they have been given, if you like, or taught to fear doing that, and that there may be guilt involved, there may be, there may be the idea that if I do something, that I deny somebody something, Mm. Or that if I do something, that I'm an imposition on somebody else. Even going back to the state of being a baby, like you said before, if you're a baby and you need to express yourself, but it causes your parents to um, to be fearful, and you can sense that. No, it doesn't. No, 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 no. You don't, don't say it that way because well, it's a, fearful, maybe. But it, it's, it no, causes no, no. them causes them. Stress. No, it doesn't cause anything. Okay. So you just expressing yourself has no cause. All right, there's no I'm cause. I'm saying your perception of their. No. If your parents are fearful yes. and your parents have issues around being responsible for you, yes. then if you freely express yourself, your parents will treat you in a very conditional way to deal with their own fears. Mm-hmm. Right? So they, they put conditions on the relationship that restrict you and demand from you as a little child to meet those conditions. And one of those might be to not express yourself. One of those might be to contain yourself and to restrict yourself and to stop yourself from being who you really are. Mm. And so, when that is the case, sorry, when that is the case, um, we can, that if that goes on long enough and hard enough and deep enough, the child will then develop beliefs that it cannot be itself in this world, mm. and it's not free to be itself. If it then takes up smoking, then the, the two, because smoking is always an irritant to the lungs, yes. right? Um, then that being an irritant can trigger a condition in the lungs, which is a metaphor for the very condition which exists emotionally. Because it aligns with the emotion. It aligns with the emotions. Mm. So the lung is not allowed to breathe. It's not allowed to absorb life-giving, energy-giving oxygen. Mm. Mm. Do you understand? And so by restricting the lungs from giving that to your body is a metaphor for you restricting yourself from engaging life. Mm. And having the oxygen of your own desires, wishes, hopes, and dreams in order to fulfill the need for emotional expression you have within yourself mm. and the need to fulfill your potential. I have a very uh, scientific mind, <clears throat> if you might say. And so the way that I have thought about this before, for those of you that share my scientific mind, quite often in science we do experiments with people. Say we take a bunch of smokers and we, and we test them. Uh, and we do a long-term study on what happens to them over a period of time. When we do a scientific study, we take probabilities and we take statistics, and what we do is we group, we take a group that is all together, and we say the majority of people we tested have the same outcome. <clears throat> and anything that outlies that on the statistical st- scale by a certain number of standard deviations is ignored. So anybody that falls outside of the group that, is primarily, let's say you get 80% of people with the same thing, the other 20% are ignored because they're seen as almost anomalies to the study. But the way I see it is those people potentially have different belief systems to the people that have the majority of. So the people that are tested out of the 100 people, 80 have the same belief system and 20 are the outliers that have a different belief system. And that, that, that I can possibly agree with um, because I can't be certain about it until I know what these people believe. Right. What, what, I yeah. can, what I can be certain about is this, is that people that have emotional issues really engage in physical habits to compensate for those emotional issues, which include drinking and smoking, yes. taking drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, Those are the three things that we do 
um, to compensate for our emotional issues. So what you can be sure of is that, an, um, that a smoker has got emotional issues. I guess any sort of addiction, sexual <clears throat> addiction or, any, or gambling addiction, anything yeah. addictive is probably along those same lines. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But you, of course, you get people who are gamblers, often are smokers and drinkers. Yeah. Do, do you understand? Several addictions go together. Yeah, there's several. Drinking se- and smoking exactly. are very common. Yeah. Exactly. But what it points out to is that those people are not dealing with their issues and are looking for compensating behavior to deal with it. Mm. Even obsessive compulsive behavior is probably along that same line, is it? Or is that something different again? It, it's a particular corner. And it's not, I have, I have, having worked with that with people, it's not the easiest of issues to resolve. Mm. And it, it is a very much a fear-based issue and not an addiction. Right. Like you couldn't call it an addiction. You can label it, but it's not really an addiction. So it's something different again. Because it's not, it's not how can I put it? It is, it is where a person have a deep sense of distrust of the th- that the things they actually do are the things that they've actually have done. So in other words, mm-hmm. like closing a door and then going back closing the door again or locking it, for instance, thinking, oh, I locked it, but I don't trust myself that I've locked it. Yeah. So I have to check again. And look, it's, it's a topic for another time. Mm-hmm. I think it's too specialized. So yeah, that's, uh, but, that's excluded. But, but it's from... about personal distrust. Yes, okay. Yeah, which is in, then was acquired in childhood, mm-hmm. right? Um, so then going back to addictions as we see them, so smoking and drinking and gambling and and drugs, things that are activities that you would engage in because of your emotional emotional issues. issues. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the things that can also bring you, of course, then uh, physical issues to the related, metaphorically related physical parts of your body, Mm -hmm. like your kidneys, your liver, um, your gut, uh, your lower back. Um, There's an endless number of um, interactions that I could talk about. Yeah. Um, some of them are very strange. So there are certain parts of your body that are correlated with certain Not emotional so all issues? Not parts of your body. Or are, but there is, say, in, in, in any individual next to another individual, the liver is always related to a, a certain – or the lungs are always related to the breath of life, the freedom of, of yeah, expression. Yeah, you, you can generalize that way. Right. Like the kidney is always related to fear and the um, – like your sacral chakra, that energy points related to power – Mm-hmm. Uh, your um, um, your genitals, for instance, are related to creativity. Of course. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, of course it does. Um, your throat related to expression, freedom of expression. Mm. Um, so, some of those old sayings too, something like vent your spleen, they seem to have some relevance to Yeah, because you do it through the expression of anger. Yes. But yeah. the spleen and both the spleen and the liver and the kidneys always – related to issues with anger and aggression mm. that was engaged mm. and if you're in constant fear in a constant state of stress your pancreas gets involved mm. and because it's a constant state of activity until it gets tired something that i've come across is say with you with people <coughs> with, with back issues is that it's to do with carrying your burdens or, or fearing that you're not able to support yourself. That's well, what I think. well, the back issues, of course, have to do with the spine and the muscles around the spine. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's an interesting one because it's quite common that people have lower back issues. And it's usually because as children, they were asked to be responsible 
too early in their life. Carry burdens too early. For, to be either responsible for themselves or for themselves and others. Mm. Sometimes the parents. Yes. To be emotionally responsible for the parent. Yes. And not being able to carry that burden and therefore not trust their capacity on a physical level not, not, to not carry their own body. Not able know? to trust themselves to cope <clears throat> with the situation. It's, it's not even trust. They can't. Okay. Yep. All right, they just can't. Mm. I mean, you can't ask a five, six, seven-year-old child to be self-responsible uh, because it can't. Or it hasn't got responsible for their parents or their siblings. Or, or for themselves. Yeah, for themselves even. even, yeah. You know, because they just can't. So what does happen, though, and in that you're right, over time they don't trust themselves to have the capacity and the resources to do so. And they might become to fear any kind of responsibility in their life and reject it. Mm. either because they resent it because it feels restrictive or they're fearful of it because it feels overwhelming and overbearing. And so, um, yeah, there are different responses to this, but it can f often finish up in lower back issues mm. because the lower back is the lumbar support. Your spine and your sacrum are the central key points that keep your whole skeletal system together to carry your body without your sacrum and lumbar you cannot stand up. Your your legs have got nothing to it's like, attach to. It's like to. a pivot point. Mm. It's a pivotal, yeah, it's mm. a power point of your body. Mm. Mm. It's the one thing that gives your whole body power and strength. Without it, it's nothing. Power and strength with flexibility. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. We might uh, we might wrap up that episode there. Um, I think there's a lot more to talk about here, so we might go into a part two on that in the next episode. So thank you again very much, Rudy, for your... For your time there. Very welcome. And uh, we will uh, we'll catch up with everybody next time. Thank you. Mm -hmm.